Well, it is good for us to be celebrating Easter together here in the West Auditorium, those worshiping in the East Auditorium, as well as those of you online. Uh, if you are new with us, my name is Brian, and I look forward to looking at God's Word with you here this morning on this Easter Sunday. And uh, just a little bit about me, uh, real fast, is I actually didn't grow up doing this. I didn't grow up going to church, uh, but through kind of a tough time in high school, a friend encouraged me to check out church, uh, to, you could say, give Jesus a try. And I did. And at 16 years old, I placed my faith in Jesus. And now at 40 years of age, 24-year-long journey now and counting. But early on, one of the things that I didn't get actually was this day. Uh, I didn't understand, like with a childhood to that point, you know, I had, you know, the Easter bunny and the Easter egg hunts and the Easter baskets and all that. But when I started going to church and I showed up on this day, I didn't understand why so many more people were here. I didn't understand why everyone was so dressed up and fancy. It's like, you know, the church I grew up in, um, or I should say came to faith in, Dutch Fort Christian Church in Columbia, South Carolina. It was a pretty casual church by all marks, like about as, you know, you could say about as fancy like Applebee's that we got on a date night <laughs> was golf shorts and a golf shirt. I mean, that's what we did in South Carolina. And all of a sudden, everyone's got pants and suits and ties and flowery dresses, and the ladies have these, these hats. I didn't get the hats with the colorful, elaborate, just over the top. I, like, I had to check the sign at the door. It's like, is this the Kentucky Derby, or is this my church? And, and I remember just looking around thinking, man, like, what is such the big deal about Easter? Why does the church just go all out on this day, it would seem, above all the others? I mean, I get it. I knew what happened. I know, you know, Jesus rose from the dead. Like, that's a pretty, you know, cool party trick, right? You know, that's a pretty big deal. But honestly, Jesus, I understood, did a lot of cool stuff and a lot of other miracles. But what was it about this one that made it so different than all the rest? You know, the fanfare, you know, all the festivities, the, the fancy hats, I mean, my youth leader told me I wasn't even allowed to wear my hat in church, so there's that. Uh, But the bottom line, the question that I was asking, and maybe at some level, if you kind of dig beneath the layer of just maybe some sort of autopilot or to make grandma happy or tradition of maybe what's the reason you chose to be here, you might be asking, what is the big deal? What is such the big deal about Easter? Well, we know Jesus is certainly at some level the focal point to that question, Uh, but I wanna shift our attention here in our conversation together from, you could say, directly on Jesus to someone who is right there with Jesus, alongside him at Easter and actually at the run-up to it, to help us understand what the big deal is about Easter. And this guy, he was just a regular guy, uh, you know. um, He got to know Jesus really, really well over the course of a few years. But you could say like you and me, just an ordinary guy who, you know, like you, like me, outside of this ordinary moment, you know, ordinary guys, ordinary gals, uh, because that's who we are, certainly compared to Jesus, that as ordinary people, we have a life uh, where you do what you do outside of this hour. You know, you go to school or maybe you're at that retirement phase of life or you run your home or you go to the plant or you're out in the fields or you go to the office. Well, for Peter, Peter's office was the fishing boat. Uh, And not like the retirement kind of like golf and fishing boat, but like the how I make a living and put food on the table kind of fishing boat. And Peter, in this moment, Jesus just drops in. He just shows up in the middle of his otherwise everyday life and he invites Peter to give him a try. Jesus 
is given a try by Peter. Peter tries. He tries out Jesus. And so here's how that story unfolds in the book of Matthew in the Bible. Here's how it went down. It says, Jesus, he was walking beside the Sea of Galilee. He saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. It says at once, they left their nets and they followed him. Jesus shows up, drops in on Peter and says essentially, try me, try me. And maybe today you can relate to Peter in that way, that you were, up until this moment, plugging away at your otherwise, you know, day-to-day, 365 days a year kind of life that, let's be honest, is pretty much the same thing, just on a different day, and dropped right in the middle of it is a different kind of day, a day we call Easter. And you thought, hey, if there was ever a day to maybe break that up, maybe today is that day. The one day where, you know, maybe I wouldn't give church a second thought, maybe this is a day I will give it a try. And obviously that's evidenced by your presence here. Uh, in this room, the East Auditorium online, uh, you know, no big secret, this is probably the only Sunday we ever have trouble finding a seat in the place. And so we're giving church a try today at some level, every single one of us. And so we get to relate to Peter because he's giving it a try. He's giving Jesus a try. Uh, as the kiddies say these days, Peter is saying to Jesus, hey, I'm picking up what you're putting down. So he's gonna give it a roll. Thank you, the first people to laugh at that all weekend. (laughs) Thanks, Mom. All right, so Peter's in. He starts to follow Jesus, and as he's following Jesus, he's hearing Jesus' profound teachings, he's seeing Jesus' jaw-dropping miracles, but get this, the reason, and this might surprise you, the reason Peter continues to hang with Jesus actually is not because of his teachings, It's not because of his miracles, but it's actually for an entirely different reason all together. And I want you to see what that is in the book of John chapter six. We're gonna pick up Peter's journey as to the reason he sticks it out with Jesus. Because he's been saying, you know, Peter said to Jesus, or excuse me, Jesus said to Peter, try me. He's been taking him up on that offer for some time. He's seen some teachings and he's seen some miracles and of which in John chapter six, he does this miracle. Jesus does this miracle where he takes five loaves of bread, and he multiplies them miraculously to feed 5,000 men plus women and children, which this miracle actually of Jesus, it's a callback to 1,500 years earlier where God provided bread called manna for his people who were wandering around in the wilderness. And so this miraculous feeding of 5,000, it's actually from Jesus. It's like this little hint It's like a riddle as to not just what Jesus is gonna teach and not just what Jesus is gonna do, but who Jesus actually is. It's a hint as to who he claims to be. To which pretty quickly here, Jesus solves the riddle. He gives the punchline. Says that after this miracle of multiplying physical bread, Jesus declares, he says, actually, I am the bread. I am the bread of life. And he says, what I mean by this is whoever comes to me will never go hungry. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors, they they ate manna in the wilderness, yet they still died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. 
You see, Jesus here, and actually all throughout John chapter six, he is clarifying, he is repeating over and over, say, hey, look, this is different. I am the one. He is saying, I am God in the flesh. I am both the one who is and provides bread. Not just, you know, bread to keep you fed and provide life biologically. No, Jesus says, I am the bread and I am the food that provides life eternally. Jesus goes on in verse 51. He says, look, I am the living bread that has come down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. And so this claim of Jesus, this claim uh, for him to be God in the flesh, for a lot of those who were trying out Jesus that day, for them, that statement, those claims, they went too far. And many on that day, they bailed. They bailed on Jesus' try me offer. The teachings and the miracles, they were all great. But his claims to be the Messiah, the Savior, the God of the universe, for many, just went too far. And maybe today, if you just get past the tradition of showing up here on an Easter and you get honest with yourself about what you believe about the person of Jesus, maybe if you're honest, you struggle with the divinity of Jesus. Sure, you're all in for his great teachings, you know, the, we all know the golden rule, you know, do unto others as you would want someone to do unto you, and these profound teachings like praying for your enemies, I mean, that's, that's powerful stuff. But Jesus is God? I mean, if you're honest, you might be thinking, I don't know, that, that might be my train stop. Like, again, all aboard for Jesus' teachings, all aboard for how he served others and set that example, great stuff, but the God of the universe? actually showing up in a person, a person by the name of Jesus? I don't know. That might be my stop. That might be my exit off of the Jesus train. That for you, Jesus as God, it's just hard to hear, hard to accept. Well, know this. Don't beat yourself up. You're in good company. You're in good company with Peter and the other disciples, actually. Story continues for Peter and the disciples and Jesus. It says, on hearing it, on hearing Jesus claims to be God, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? And it says, from this time, from this time on, many of his disciples turned back and actually no longer followed him. It was at this stop, Jesus as God, that many disciples exited the Jesus train. But what about Peter? I mean, he's at a fork in the road here. He's got to make this decision. Uh, you know, is he, is he going to stay on the Jesus train or is this going to be his stop as well? And with so many giving up on and leaving Jesus, Jesus asks Peter and he asks the disciples together, just point blank, he just says, you do not want to leave too, do you? And Peter answers, Lord, to whom shall we go? He says, you have the words of eternal life, and we have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. And so Peter, out of his own mouth, says, I'm staying on the Jesus train. I'm gonna continue to follow Jesus. 
And that's exactly what he does. And so he follows Jesus, and again, not just because of his teachings and not just because of his miracles. Remember, there are a whole bunch of people who just had seen all those teachings and seen all those miracles and yet had just bailed. No, Peter stays because there is something more. And not just more, like, like the most that anyone could possibly be. Peter believes that Jesus is the eternal life, the Holy One of God, that Jesus is who he's claiming to be. Not because of what he taught or did, because of who he is. Peter stays on the Jesus train. And so that train, it takes even more teachings and more miracles. And now, as we're learning, most importantly, to more claims from Jesus about who he claims to be, which included, at this point, actually, something new. Something new that Peter had not heard before. Jesus starts to predict his own death, which, in fairness, Peter doesn't understand. He doesn't get, because how could, and I could understand where Peter's coming from, how could, you know, the bread of life, the eternal life, the holy one of God, the the way to eternal life possibly, like, die? How could that measure up? Well, for Peter, his confusion is soon quite clarified in that Jesus, he is arrested, he's captured, and Jesus, who he says, hey, I've got access to all the power of God. He actually says in that moment of his arrest, he's like, hey, I could call on 12 legions of angels right now and put a stop to this, uh, to which Peter's very confused because he doesn't. That he allows himself, Jesus allows himself to be arrested Uh, to get beat up and banged up and to put on trial, where then the religious leaders of the day, they they start to interrogate Jesus. And as we've said, they're not interrogating Jesus about those teachings or about those miracles, but no, the high priest, he interrogates Jesus saying, I charge you under oath by the living God. You tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. To which after remaining silent for some time, knowing that they were trying to trap him, Jesus does eventually confess, yes. Jesus says, yes, you have said so, Jesus replied. Says that this, that the high priest in rage, he just tears his clothes and said, he has spoken blasphemy. Why do we even need any more witnesses? Look now, you have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? And those present said, he is worthy of death. They answered. So in the eyes of the religious leaders, Jesus is worthy of death, not because of the teachings he taught or the miracles he did, but because of who he claimed to be. Because he actually claimed to be God, the bread of life, the way to eternal life, John 6, 68 and 69. And so during this arrest and during this trial, there's still Peter. Peter, you know, he's still on the Jesus train, I think we assume maybe barely hanging on. And so the scriptures, they account for Peter uh, this way. It says that he, quote, followed at a distance. That Peter, he hung back at the very back portion of the courtyard that was doubling as a courtroom for Jesus. And Peter, witnessing Jesus' preliminary death sentence, is surely thinking, man, did I, did I ride this Jesus train just a little too long? Because how is it that the eternal life could be facing certain death? And so Peter's doubts, they're they're running rampant by now. And put on the spot, Peter 
denies. Peter denies Jesus. Yes, first Peter tries Jesus, but at this point in the journey, Peter denies Jesus. If you know the story, there's actually three times that Peter is confronted with being a follower of Jesus, and three times he denies it. Nope. I don't know that man. I, I am not on the Jesus train. He actually starts cursing. He actually says, I swear I do not know the man. And from there, it says he went outside of the courtyard and he wept bitterly. Peter wept. He's confused. It's all breaking down because, and, and those of you who've grown up in church, we know why he is weeping bitterly because, you know, he let Jesus down, right? I mean, he publicly denied Jesus. But have you ever wondered that maybe the reason that Peter denied Jesus, that perhaps the reason that Peter was weeping bitterly was actually for Peter because Jesus let him down? That Peter abandoned Jesus because Peter believed that Jesus had actually abandoned him. And for some of you here, it's this point in the message that actually makes the most sense as to where you're at in your understanding of God and Jesus and the whole bit. You know, I think for a lot of us, we grew up, you know, I didn't, but maybe you do, you grew up in church and, you know, you heard the teachings, you heard the miracles, you were there on the Easter Sundays, you wore the fancy clothes uh, Sunday after Sunday. And it was cool back then. But then again, so was the Easter Bunny. And so a faith that functioned for you as a child, you would say maybe has failed you as an adult. For others, though, um, maybe it wasn't a slow fade. Maybe it was just something, if we're honest, just something awful. Something awful that happened that just left you asking, okay, how is it then that Jesus or God or however it all works could let that happen if he supposedly cares about me like we just sang about in all these songs. And so for wherever you're at, maybe like Peter, you spent some time taking Jesus up on his offer to, quote, try me. But for one reason or another, didn't add up, didn't play out, and it didn't work out. That is certainly the case for Peter. That is certainly where Peter is. I mean, think about where he's at. I mean, Peter went all in. I mean, he pushed all of his life's chips in on betting that Jesus was the one. You know, he left his livelihood as a fisherman. You know, he um, puts his life on hold for three years, gives three years to following this Jesus. I mean, he's throwing it all, and he's taken off the watch. He's pushed everything in, betting on Jesus, believing in his words that Jesus was, in his own words that Peter used, the eternal life, the supposed holy one of God. But now, on that night, during that trial, it would seem that the eternal life, the holy one of God, is somehow about to die. So Peter, he bet big. And we discover on that next day that Peter would lose big. Mark 15, 37, with Jesus on the cross, with a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. Jesus died. Jesus is dead. The bread of life dies. The way to life dies. 
And for Peter and every other follower of Jesus, the eternal life that they were counting on died that day with Jesus. And something that I had never considered before, that on that Friday, there was no longer a single Christian living left on the planet. I mean, think about it. When Jesus died, so did every other follower's hopes go with him. There is not a single follower of Jesus upon that moment on Friday or on that Saturday. And why is that? Well, because Peter expected, along with everyone else, expected Jesus who had died to do what dead people do, stay dead. And today, get to relate it back to us, maybe functionally Jesus is dead to you. You know, maybe because you've never actually given him a try or you, you know, had a childhood faith that just didn't play out for you in adulthood or you just walked away or maybe even just ran away when you couldn't reconcile how God could let that thing happen. And you concluded, Jesus, he doesn't add up, didn't play out, doesn't work out. But can I tell you why it is that you are actually here, even if you don't even realize it. Like, when it comes to that question that we asked at the beginning, like, you know, what is the big deal? Like, what is the big deal about this day? Again, we're all big on Jesus' teachings and miracles, but it wasn't what he taught, and it wasn't what he did. It was who, remember, Jesus claimed to be. He claimed to be God, and the only way that God could prove himself to be true in Jesus is through the miracle of all miracles. And rather than I just give the punchline, why don't we discover it together in the word of God in Mark chapter 16? This is how it is accounted. It says it very early on Sunday morning, just after sunrise, it says that Mary Magdalene and the mother of James, Mary the mother of James and Salome, they, they brought spices so that they might go and anoint Jesus' body. And he's like, okay, wait, why are they bringing embalming spices on Easter Sunday? Because remember, like anybody else, they expected to find what everybody finds when a person who dies is put in a tomb. They expected to find a dead body. But instead of finding a body, they encountered an angel of God and who said, don't be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. Well, he has risen. He has risen. He has risen. He is not here. Look, see the place where he has been laid. Now go. Tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Just as he told you. And so then Jesus, he appears to Peter and the disciples, and Jesus says to them, hey, this is what I told you while I was still with you, that everything must be fulfilled that it has been written about me in the prophecies. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem, and you are witnesses to these things. And so it's here that we see that Peter moves from tries to denies to Peter belives. <laughs> Sorry, I just had to make it rhyme. No, Peter believes. Peter, see at that joke, they just couldn't take it anymore. <laughs> They're out, we're done. 
Jesus in John chapter 20, actually, they're getting ready to celebrate Easter through baptism. It's super exciting. Good stuff. So, all right. Jesus in John chapter 21. Jesus, we know he denied, or excuse me, Peter denied Jesus three times. And so in turn, Jesus three times, he asks for Peter's commitment and love for him. And Jesus, he reinstates Peter as his disciple who would, ironically, several weeks later, start this very thing that we are gathered to be a part of here called the church. Peter starts that because that's what Jesus had him do. And so see, Jesus did what only God could do, what the bread of life, what the actual eternal life, what the actual creator of life could do, and he actually conquered death on an Easter Sunday, or really better said, on Resurrection Sunday. You see, the reason that millions of people have followed Jesus for thousands of years is not because of his teachings. It's actually because of Jesus' resurrection and because Jesus' resurrection, we as people follow his teachings. I love the way that Pastor Andy Stanley just sums all this up. He just puts it this way. He says, hey, look, if a man predicts his own death and resurrection and pulls it off, I just go with whatever that man says. (laughs) Makes sense. And so nearly 2,000 years later, we have been celebrating week after week, what we call kind of in the church, what's called Holy Week. That's what this whole week's about. At the beginning of this week, you know, Peter, or excuse me, Jesus, he shows up in Jerusalem. A whole bunch of stuff happens that leads to his death on a Friday and his resurrection on a Sunday. And kind of scaling back, like, again, my clock a little bit, thinking back to the reason why, as a new Christian, I didn't understand all the fanfare and the fancy hats and the hoopla and the eagerness that was all about Easter. I think the deal for me as a new Christian was I absolutely, I absolutely received Jesus that he had died for the forgiveness of my sins. And I think in receiving that, I think sometimes as a church, we can sometimes, uh, not intentionally, but just mistakenly almost, you could say, major on Jesus' death on the cross, but at the same time, unintentionally minor in the resurrection. Now, now don't misunderstand me. The cross, the death of Jesus is definitely major. Romans 6.23 warns us that the cost of our sin The penalty of that sin is death, eternal death, separated from God for all of eternity in hell. But because Jesus died for me, or more precisely, he died instead of me as my substitute, as it says in 2 Corinthians 5, that my sin, my mess-ups, my slate, it's wiped clean. I am forgiven. But if that's all there is, if it like stops at the cross, then there can be this sense, like, okay, Brian, your slate's clean, but if that's the end of the story, well, then there's almost a sense like, okay, well, you better fill your slate out right this time. But know this, that's only half of the gospel, half of the good news. That's what that word gospel means. That the full gospel, the total good news, is that, yes, we are forgiven because of Jesus' death but we are given the gift of a new life because of his resurrection to new life. So don't misunderstand me. It's not a question of, okay, so which one's the major and which one's gonna be my minor? No. In Jesus' death and resurrection and the forgiveness of sin and the gift of a new life, you could say it's our double major. It's our double major as followers of Jesus. I liken it to this. 
Let's say, for example, um, you say you were uh, like a million dollars in debt to the bank. Like you had like a million dollars in credit card debt and you're not sure what to do. And so you go to the bank and you meet the bank president and he comes out and he says, hey, guess what? I've got really great news. We are canceling all of your debt. You'd be like, seriously? Like, wow, like that's, that's great news. You, you know, you'd, you'd be pumped, you'd be excited. Then you'd walk out of the bank and then you'd be broke. You'd be broke. You still have zero, you'd have nothing. So, okay, I forget, okay, so now what? What do I do? And what would you do? You'd, well, I guess you'd get to work. You'd get to earning. But again, that's only half the story. Because in Easter Sunday, in the resurrection of Jesus, Jesus says, hey, not only do I cancel all your debts, but in the resurrection, Jesus says, hey, oh, by the way, I'm actually the bank president. And not only am I the bank president, but our family, uh, you know, we own the bank and I adopt you into my family. And so here's the key to the family vault and everything I have, you have access to because everything I have is yours. Because in Jesus, we have come to receive, he said, his words, life and life to the full. And so now, because of the resurrection, because of Jesus' new life, we get to live by his power, a whole new life. And when we follow him and his will and his ways, we're not following him and his will and ways to earn anything with Jesus, to somehow gain some favor with him. But no, we get to, in this new life, we get to follow Jesus out of an overflow of gratitude and trust, knowing this, that anyone who would die for you, that you can trust his teachings are gonna be what's best for you. You see, all of this, his death and his resurrection, forgiveness and new life. This is what we call in church talk, the grace of God. It's all the grace of God. And sometimes we limit that grace to the cross, but it's also in the new life. You could say it this way, that the same grace of God that saves you initially, that forgives you and saves you initially, is also the same grace of God that sustains you continually all the days of your life and into eternal life because of the resurrection of Jesus. And so, what's the big deal about Easter? This is the big deal about Easter. Should you choose to believe him, trust him, and follow him? And that's our prayer for you. That's why we do all of this. And so if it's good by you, can I pray for you in that journey for your life? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as I consider the words to pray on behalf of my, my friends here today, I'm thankful for the words of a dad in the Bible who prayed, it's like my life verse. It's like the most honest prayer in all the Bible. When he encountered Jesus, he said, I do believe, but help me with my unbelief. So Father, at some measure, I'm guessing a whole bunch of us are in that state that we, yes, we do believe or we wanna believe, but there's this gap whether intellectually or because something happened in life or just really just maybe not even giving the attention to it that we otherwise feel like maybe we should have. God, we're not gonna close that gap, 
but it's our prayer, like just like you did for that dad in the Bible, that you would close the cap for us. That yes, we believe, but we're coming to you on this Easter Sunday where maybe we just thought we we're gonna show up, dress up and go home. We pray that you would close the gap and help us with our unbelief that we wouldn't just go home, but that we would face the fact that we have to give an account. Are we gonna bail? Are we gonna follow? And so by the power of your Holy Spirit at work within our hearts, draw us to you, not just this day on Easter Sunday, but I pray for us all the days of our life and into that gift of eternal life made possible by your new life in the resurrection. Amen. Amen.